I remember Fred Fitzhugh, one of the founders of our firm, telling me that you can mail this to the client, or maybe you take a half an hour drive and you drive over and you meet with them and you hand them the finished product. Because that conversation you have with them is way more important than just delivering the product. Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to another episode of Mitten Money. Being that tax season is right around the corner, I couldn't think of a better time to invite a CPA on the podcast. I find it's pretty easy to get confused about taxes. So when this episode idea first came to concept, I knew that I had to invite our guest, Mike Kanisko, on to chat about this. As you'll hear throughout the episode, he does an amazing job taking these complex topics and distilling them into easy concepts. In addition to being a CPA, Mike's been a partner over at Wylander Fitzhugh for over 25 years and is also involved in many leadership roles across different community organizations. If you're at all interested in learning more about some of the upcoming tax law changes for people and businesses, how to go about finding a trusted CPA, or learning more about relationship building, which Mike's advice is spot on, then this is something that you won't want to miss. So welcome, Mike, to Mint Money. I see that you're a fellow Chippewa graduate, fire up chips. What made you initially interested in pursuing a career in accounting? Also, what made you want to join a local CPA practice versus other fields in accounting? Great question. Well, I come from the Saginaw area, and I was pretty sure I wanted to stay in Michigan, looked around at some schools, was impressed with CMU. This was in the early 80s. And as we use technology and so forth today, as you take it for granted, technology as we know it today was in its infancy back then. So I actually was going to go into the term that they used back then was computer science. So IT area and took some basic courses my first year, which included an accounting class. That was my first exposure to accounting. I liked it, enjoyed it. So I decided to changed my career path at that time and just went off into the accounting world. What led me to a local accounting firm was I did an internship between my junior, senior year with the state of Michigan, with the Auditor General's office over the summer. Really enjoyed the experience. And one of the things that's great about internships or co-ops is it gives you some insight into that particular field or in this case, a governmental working arrangement. And I sort of knew that's not where I wanted to be. It was a great experience, nothing against it, but I couldn't see it as a long-term career path for me. And then having come from Saginaw in the Tri-City area, my dad worked for a local independent insurance agency. So he always sort of advocated local businesses, closely held businesses, that kind of thing. And he knew some of the firms in our area. So I did some interviewing with back then, it would have been maybe the big six firms in Lansing, Detroit, Chicago, then had a chance to interview with some more local firms. And that's what brought me back. Actually, I had someone that was living in the dorm that I lived in early on when I was at CMU, whose uncle worked here at Winelander Fitzhugh. And so he brought that up a couple of times and said, if you're looking to get back to the Tri-City area, I can connect you with who to talk to at Winelander Fitzhugh. So that's actually what open the door of opportunity here. And then again, because it was in the local area, which I didn't intend, I would have went to other areas, but this particular opportunity, I talked to my dad about it and he knew some people from Bay City and he made a few phone calls and they said, wow, Winelander Fitzhugh is a great place to work. Your son should go there. And so my dad called me back right away and he said, 
if you like this opportunity, go for it. So that's what I did. And I've been here ever since from the early 80s till now. For you, I know that joining a local CPA firm is probably different than working for a big six. And I can imagine that there's probably some differences too. If I was a regular business owner or consumer, and if I were to go work with a local CPA firm in comparison to if I would decided to go work for a regional or a national CPA firm. And so what would some of those differences be if I was a business owner and I worked for a local CPA firm versus working for a regional or a national accounting firm? The world continues to change in the way things are happening with people working remotely. But I think some of the basic concepts are still there. And again, the other item that I liked about a local firm, just like with a lot of businesses that are in a local community, they get involved in the community as well. I came from that kind of background of being involved in school, church, and the community. And I just thought that it would give me that opportunity to experience that by working with a local CPA firm. And our firm in particular, Winelander Fitzhugh, is very involved in the community. And that was something when I interviewed here that struck me and I wanted to be part of that. And I would say the other thing that struck me was that I wanted to have a variety of experiences. That's what I liked about it. That's why I chose to take this path. And that's what I've loved about my career my entire life. I appreciate you touching on that. And so in simple terms, would you mind describing some of the differences between what makes business tax filing different compared to personal tax filing? And then do they still follow the same general guidelines between the two? Talk about individuals first, because there is a lot more commonality in terms of the basic tax return preparation for individuals. The only differences might be, are you single or married? Are you a student or are you at the other end of your career and in retirement? But when you're doing the tax preparation, you're asking the same questions about accumulating sources of income and the deductions that might be available are still similar no matter which of those categories you fall in. So there's a lot more similarity in the variances that would come on the individual tax preparation side. Whereas on the business side, first the type of entity, whether it's an LLC, partnership, S corporation, corporation, those will define certain tasks and chores that you have to go through in terms of the tax preparation. Businesses have a much more diligent process of accumulating their records throughout the year, closing out the books and records at the end of the year. If it's a manufacturing company, taking a physical inventory, managing and monitoring their receivables and their payables and and other accruals. So there's a lot more of a task-oriented process for a business instead of with individuals. Usually they just wait to the end of the year, get their W-2 and start accumulating the records. The business is doing that. Even small businesses to some degree are doing it throughout the year and then have more of a year-end closing process to accumulate their records. And then lastly, there's the uniqueness of the type of the tax return on the business side that'll dictate other things that you might have to address. Whereas in all individuals file a 1040, doesn't matter whether you're a student or a child or a grandparent. I also know during the pandemic, Mike, that many people try their hand on entrepreneurship, whether it was an extension of what they did for a living or trying something completely new. So as such, there's probably a lot of questions on whether their business is truly a business or possibly maybe just a hobby that makes them additional money on the side. What makes something into a business versus just being a hobby? And then are those startup costs deductible at all, broadly speaking? So to answer that last question, the startup costs generally are deductible. Yes. There could be a variety of costs, again, depending on how you're setting up your business, whether you're incorporating and you've got registration and filing fees, maybe legal fees to establish 
documents, there'd be bylaws, operating agreements, et cetera. So those costs are deductible. There are some parameters and limits on how they would be deductible, but they are deductible as a general rule. But now let's just compare and contrast that initial question, which is a great one that we discuss with a lot of clients. Do I have a business or is it a hobby? And interestingly enough, looking at some information that the IRS provides, and it said, if someone has a business, they operate the business to make a profit. In contrast, people engage in a hobby for sport or recreation, not to make a profit, which is a little odd. But I'm going to give you some examples that completely bring that to light. So to some degree, they're saying if you operate something and continually make a profit at it, that's a business. Even if you're doing it for the pure enjoyment and you like to do it, if you're making a profit, meaning that the revenue you bring in consistently exceeds the expenses that you incur and you're making a profit, it's probably a business, even if you're doing it for the enjoyment of it. So that's one issue that'll lead you down the path of being a business. But the IRS does provide a checklist of about nine questions that you can answer to determine whether you're really a hobby or a business. So that's provided on the IRS website. From my own accounting experience, I know that one big factor with business taxation is how a business is classified. So whether that is a sole proprietorship, LLC, or corporation, or I'm sure I'm missing some in there. Are there any general guidelines for how someone should also classify their business? There's no black and white answer. You have to look at the facts and circumstances of the situation, but there are some general situations that would lead you toward a certain type of entity selection. You pretty much covered them all. There could be a sole proprietor, and there's an LLC, and there's different types of LLCs, whether it's a professional limited liability company or a regular limited liability company. And then there's corporations, there's partnerships as well. There could be general partnerships and limited partnerships. As a general rule today, there are more LLCs that's become sort of the entity of choice for many situations. You mentioned corporations as well, and there's different types of corporations, of course. There's nonprofit corporations, there's for-profit, and then you might make a choice to be taxed as what's called an S-corporation, subchapter S-corporations. I mentioned that LLC is sort of the entity of choice because it offers a wide variety of formation options. For example, if you said, I want to be a corporation and I want to make an S-corporation election because we're a small business and we think that that type of taxation situations fits us best, you can actually form your company to be an LLC and also elect to be taxed like an S-corporation. So you can be an LLC taxed as an S-corporation. You can also be an LLC taxed like a corporation. You can see that you can choose those different tax benefits that a C corporation offers or an S corporation offers, but still be an LLC. So I would say as a general rule, you're finding in today's world, the LLC is the entity of choice. And then you again, look at the facts and circumstances and try to make the best determination for that situation as to the type of tax situation you want to elect, a C corp, S corp, or a traditional LLC. So the traditional LLC is taxed like a partnership. The last thing that I'd say on this would be the only type of entity that I can think where you almost always see an LLC is in real estate ownership. So whether it's a, an individual piece of property a guy buys to rent out a house, or you got a group of people to get together and buy a piece of property for commercial or industrial use, LLCs seem to be one of the most common choices of entities for real estate ownership. 
So I know that earlier you mentioned a little bit about tax law changes. Are there any major or big tax law changes that consumers or business owners should be aware of going into this next filing period? We could spend hours on that particular question. Thinking about 2021, obviously, primarily, there were a number of COVID-related things that have happened from 2020 through 2021, and I would put those in phases. And there was a phase four, which was called the COVID-Related Tax Relief Act of 2020. And there was phase five, and it was called the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. So I think those two acts provide the most relevant tax law changes that people are going to notice. So what are they? Last year, one of the earlier phases of the COVID-related, it allowed for what they referred to as an above-the-line deduction for charitable donations, and it was $300. So if you didn't itemize, you typically couldn't deduct your charitable donations. Well, they allowed that for 2020, and they call it above the line because it was before you even got to your adjusted gross income. They're just going to give you this as a special, unique deduction, in addition to your standard deduction if you don't itemize. So that was $300, and it's basically cash donations to qualified charities. Well, they extended that through 2021, but they've now upped that to $600. We talked about the charitable donation above the line deduction. Well, on the backside, if you are someone who itemizes, there are limits on your ability on how much you can claim as an itemized deduction. It's typically based on a percentage of your adjusted gross income. And so for 2020, they actually increased the limit to 100% of your adjusted gross income, which is incredible. So you could never achieve getting your taxable income down to zero by giving away significant charitable donations until 2020. And they generally have to be cash donations. There's other rules for other types of donations, but cash donations to qualified charities, you could actually reduce your taxable income down to zero. They extended that now to 2021. The typical threshold would have been 60% of your adjusted gross income. And again, there's further limits for donations of non-cash items like appreciated stocks and things like that. On the business side, they did this to encourage people to use their local restaurants. But in the past, they would only allow a deduction for business meals at 50%. So if over the course of the year, business incurred $1,000 of business meals for legitimate business purposes, they could only deduct 50% of that on their tax return. Well, for 2021 and 2022, for next year, they've eliminated that. You can deduct 100% of it, but it is only for meals provided by a restaurant. So go out and support your local restaurant as a business because you can deduct 100% of that now. I'm going to just touch on a couple of the items I think were really important on this American Rescue Plan of 2021. One of the more significant ones that's going to cause a lot of uncertainty and so forth was that they had a child tax credit that is available to you. That is also part of that advanced credit system that they were paying out, but the child tax credits are significantly higher than they have been in the past. There are phase-out ranges, but child tax credits are $3,000 per child and they're $3,600 per child under age six. Again, that's part of that advanced payments that were being made. So you'll want to look for the letter to confirm what you got. So Will, those are some of the items. There's a lot there that that touches on some of the major items that are coming out for 2021. Yeah, thank you. Definitely a lot of really good items for people to not only consider for themselves, but for people that they may know within their families. So with this being said, what steps would you recommend for people to go out and find a trusted CPA partner or advisor? 
All the CPA firms in our area are good quality CPA firms. I think what it'll come down to is maybe finding a firm that has a particular expertise, although most of the firms in the area are pretty full service and can do a lot of things. Now you say, well, then how do I differentiate? And it comes down to maybe somebody who's worked with someone at that CPA firm or was involved in the community that you live in. And so you run into those people either at business events or in other circles that you might participate in. Or it's a referral from a friend who knows somebody. But if you were just doing a Google search, then it comes down to saying, well, maybe I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm going to call them up and interview them, finding out whether or not we think alike. Because a lot of people in your line of work, my line of work, it's relationships and it's how you get along with those folks. So for us as a firm, we've been around in Bay City for a little over 75 years. We're also in Clare, Gladwin and West Branch. And so we've been entrenched in those communities for a long time. And so I would say we're mid-Michigan, a representation of the client base, mid-Michigan and beyond. So we have lots of experience and we have a lot of people in the community that you can run into and you get to know. A lot of our traditional clients are closely held, maybe even family businesses from small to large. And so if that's the kind of situation you have, you try to find somebody to talk to and just see if their line of thinking and personalities and things like that get along with you, and then you can make a good choice. I know that tax services are one of the many services that a CPA firm can offer. However, do you mind also talking about some other important services that a small business owner may also find helpful? So I know that some firms offer auditing help, some firms also offer payroll help. Do you mind talking a little bit about what services that you find to be popular with uh, small business owners? Our firm is a full-service traditional CPA accounting firm. So what does that mean? I would say for the individuals, we provide that traditional tax preparation service, but there's clearly tax planning that has to occur. That's a cross-section between their individual and business needs. It may lead to estate and gift and maybe trust planning services and tax preparation services in those areas. Back on the business side of it, clearly there's tax services that you provide. And as we talked earlier, that could be LLCs, partnerships, corporations, whatever the type of business entity that it is. But beyond that, there's a whole range of services that would include accounting and bookkeeping services. It can be very detailed and very significant if that's what their needs are, where they may be creating some of the basic documentation for their business, but then we're assembling it and doing all the other work of putting the financial statements together, the traditional accounting documentation together, or they're doing all that and they be large enough that they've got a staff or a couple of people that are taking care of all the bookkeeping, but they need that supportive firm that can look over their QuickBooks file, help them make some adjustments, maybe assist with what we call after the fact payroll assistance, where they're doing the payroll processing and kicking out the paychecks, but they need somebody to help them do the quarterly payroll returns and the year end W-2s, well, we could do that. We do have a full-blown payroll department, and they can provide full-service payroll processing where we're doing weekly, bi-weekly, monthly payroll processing, all the quarterly tax filings, the payroll tax depositing, we're handling that for them and taking care of all the annual W-2s and annual payroll processing that goes with that. Then the other items that you mentioned would be those financial statement services. So again, we have clients that we're doing monthly financial statements for. We also have clients we do quarterly, and then there's typically many clients that we do annual financial statements. 
in-house full service accounting, but they just need the annual financial statement for banking purposes or for their shareholders. And again, it depends on that financial statement need will depend on whether they're a for-profit company, not-for-profit or governmental entity. So we do audited financial statements, depending on those types of entities. We do reviewed financial statements, which is the mid-level of assurance that goes with a financial statement, with audit being the highest level of assurance. Then the lower level of assurance would be a compilation. So we do a lot of compilation reports. The vast majority of what we do are compiled financial statements, either monthly, quarterly, or annually. What's another item that you're affiliated with that a lot of small businesses have, which is retirement plans. And there's the investment piece of that, which TriStar provides services in that arena, but larger retirement plans, we do provide audit services for retirement plans. And we do also provide the form 5,500, which is the tax form that is prepared for a retirement plan. We do help prepare those as well. Also with small business owners, you find that business valuations are oftentimes a necessity, whether it be for estate planning, gift tax filing, or maybe just business planning and succession planning. So we do provide business valuation services. And then lastly, I'd say for that small business client, we find that we're just general business advisors. And what does that mean is they need somebody to call up and just bounce some questions off of. I had a client call me today and ask about managing cash flow buying ahead on inventory because what's going on right now is the expectation for rising prices. So he was trying to decide whether he should lock in some prices on some raw materials now, borrow on his line of credit, manage his cash flow. Of course, we do tax planning with them. goes way beyond what the traditional accounting service that you would think that a, a CPA firm might do. Very interesting. And so outside work, when you do get some free time, I do know that free time can sometimes be a coveted word depending on what time of year it is. But when you do have some free time, what hobbies or activities do you like to go do? My wife and I love to be active and outside. So certainly during the spring, summer, and fall months, we do a lot of walking. If I think of when the pandemic first hit, we found lots of trails in the mid-Michigan area. We went over to Mount Pleasant sometimes, and there's great parks and trail systems over there. The Frankenmuth, Saginaw Bay City, threw our bikes on the car one time, went down to Lansing and stayed overnight and went to a brewery and then did a 20-mile bike ride on their uh, bike system down there. So a lot of outdoor activities. Because of the line of work that I'm in, I don't do a lot of winter activities, snowmobiling, ice fishing, or anything like that, but I do occasionally. I like to do running and triathlon activities. So years ago, my sister challenged me to try to run a marathon. And I thought that was never possible, but I got there. I ran a marathon. The Detroit marathon was my first one. And I've done countless marathons since then. But then I had some friends challenge me to do a triathlon. I hadn't swam in 30 years. How do you swim again? You had to teach yourself and then long bike rides. So started out doing some shorter distance triathlons. They call them sprints. Did a few sprints and some shorter distance ones, then moved up. I did a half Ironman, and then I decided to try the full Ironman. So I've done three full Ironmans so far. I've got another one planned in 2022. That's terrific. Hats off to you. I know that when it comes to me and running, they don't often mix too much. It's a very hard thing to go stay dedicated to. So thanks for touching on that. Now, moving to our signature question. I know that we talked a little bit earlier about relationships, but at TriStar, well, as a firm, we provide comprehensive wealth management services to our clients. 
at the center of all that are relationships. Building genuine relationships is something that we talk about every day. And I'm sure that you find relationships as a key part to being a part of the community and that Wylander fits you. And so can you talk a little bit about that and maybe share any examples you've experienced firsthand with regard to the importance of building relationships within your own career? Your philosophy, you stated it great, what TriStar's philosophy is on why relationships with your clients are so important. And we mirror that here in our profession as a service profession. That's clearly very important. Thankfully, we've had some of my predecessors here who've done a great job of establishing relationships with their clients. And so they've taught us well. I remember Fred Fitzhugh, one of the founders of our firm, telling me that you can mail this to the client. Or maybe you take a half an hour drive and you drive over and you meet with them and you hand them the finished product because that conversation you have with them is way more important than just delivering the product, the tax return or the financial statement. And that has been exemplified, I think, in the pandemic because doing things virtually, you can get things done. It definitely works. You can do conference calls, but those face-to-face meetings still mean so much you get a lot from them. And so the face-to-face meetings, number one, they build the relationship with the individual. But number two, then, as time goes on, you do become that trusted advisor, that confidant that they know they can call just to bounce that idea off of. It could be a five-minute conversation. It could be a half-minute conversation, but they need somebody just to reaffirm a strategy that they're thinking of. And so what we want here at our firm is we want our clients to think of us as one of the first calls they make when they've got burning questions like that, that are business related, family succession related, tax planning related. We want to get that call. So you need to build that relationship. I think those are all really good points, especially just be able to conduct business in such a small local community too, I think just means so much more to that. And so for those people and listeners out there who want to learn more about yourself, Mike, or Wylander fits you, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? Certainly visible on social media, Facebook and LinkedIn. We do have a website and it's very easy. It's www.wf.cpa. So in the last year, our profession came out with the .cpa as a domain that you had to register for. And it would indicate that you met certain criteria and only qualified CPA firms can have the .cpa in their domain. We also have on our website, there's uh, great resources to sign up for our newsletters. We come out with white papers, or we have little short videos that are typically three to five minutes on topics. We do post those to social media, and they're usually really interesting topics to scratch the service. It has a lot of our people listed in the email addresses, so you can email people. Those are the ways that you can reach out to us to start the conversation. But if it's something you're interested in, you can give us a call. That's great, Mike. Thanks. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Mid Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com.